What's up? Give a hand to the band. They did great. Everybody doing well? Summer has officially hit, right? I was out of town yesterday. Was it blazing hot here? It was, I was in North Carolina, and it was blazing hot. I thought up north it's supposed to get colder, right, as you go, but that didn't work. Um, so <laughs> you guys were like, oh, man, already. They gave the youth pastor the mic, and it's a dangerous morning to be alive. So I'm, I'm, I'm glad to be here. If you don't know who I am, uh, my name is Ben Patat. I'm the creative arts and student pastor here at Freedom Fellowship. And I'm just, like I said, I'm really happy to be here preaching to you guys today. Um, awesome, awesome worship. I think that uh, God's already starting to move, and it's very exciting. If you've got your program in front of you, open that up really quick. Uh, something that you might notice is that it looks a little different than the programs that Joseph's been giving you, specifically the notes section. There's just one point, and I'm just going to go ahead and make it so you can fill in those notes. Take your own notes, right? That's not like a dig against having the notes, because I love that, and I've done it before. But like lately, um, my sermons have kind of found themselves changing as I, as I preach them. And so I, I figured instead of frustrating you guys who are like type A, want to have all the notes and all the blanks filled in, and then I skip one or I add like 10 or 20 over the next hour or two, that, like, that you will like not like that at all. So take your own notes. Just li- love like having blank space for you there. So um, uh, I like to have fun, but let me just, can I pray really quickly for us, and then we're just going to dive in. Is that cool? Cool? Everybody excited to be here? Cool. I like it. Let's pray. Father God, I just ask that you would just receive this time together, that as we open up our word, that we would be true to its meaning, true to the purposes of when you inspired and spoke that through human uh, beings, that, that we would just understand and be cut to the heart by the message that you have placed in your perfect, perfect word. And Holy Spirit, I just ask that you would speak through me to my brothers and sisters, that we would all be encouraged and edified and lifted up, that we would all um, be challenged and even convicted if that's what we need uh, this morning, and that you would just use this time exactly as you would see fit to bring glory to your name and for the good of us, your blessed children. It's in your son's holy name we ask these things. Amen. All righty, all righty. So, if you have your Bibles... Guess what book we're in? Romans, right. You can go ahead and turn to Romans. We are doing this series, uh, it's the second week in this series called A Summer in Rome, which sounds fantastic, right? Anybody ever been to Rome? My sister's here, she's been. A couple, cool. So this is my pitch, okay? When Joseph gets back from vacation, this is my pitch. Whichever of you tithes the most during this series, we're going to send to Rome. What do you think? You also have to tithe the additional expenses to get you to Rome for that to happen. But, no, but I, I think uh, it's worth a shot, right? I mean, all I can say is no. So um, Romans 12 is where we're going to be this morning. Um, specifically Romans 12, 1 and 2. So uh, can I just, like, let's just read it really quick. Let's just dive in. Let's start. Let's look at the text. Where are we? Where are we going to be? Let's just start it off. Romans 12, 1 and 2 says this. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers... By the mercies of God to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, 
holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Um, I love these verses. When I was uh, in high school, I was in a Bible class, and we, we uh, studied and we memorized the, the whole chapter 12, right? So naturally, I can somewhat uh, recall the first two verses, emphasis on the word somewhat. I'm not very good at memorizing Scripture, but I really do love these verses. Uh, I think something that, that's important for us to know, kind of going into the background of things, is that flickering light is like, mess, is that messing with anybody's brains? We need to bring those down. I don't know if they'll stop that or not, but uh, I mean, we can just go dark if y'all want to get your iPhone flashlights out. I'm down. I'm adaptable. I'm creative. So, um, what we need to know about the letter of, from, that Paul's writing to the Roman church is that Paul um, has not met these believers before. Does that make sense? So Paul, he's, he writes, he's written most of the New Testament. Most of them are letters that he's writing to believers in different cities, specifically churches that he's helped plant by bringing together the believers, by preaching the gospel and gathering together to worship and to grow and to be disciples together and go out in the communities. And so Paul knows these people. The people know Paul. They've, they're used to his preaching style. They're used to... Um, the, the depth and the intricacies that he brings to his presentation of the gospel. But with Romans, it's different. Because he hasn't been to Rome yet. So he's got this letter, and I can just see him doing this. Like, he starts to write this letter knowing, I haven't gotten to just pour my heart out on, on my brothers and sisters in Rome yet. Anybody ever done that? You're just like, i got to start, start a text. It's like, this just needs to be really short. And then all of a sudden, you've got like, like, page after page, and it's like four texts. It's like you've broken your phone. There's no more space or data that you have left. And so it's like he starts writing this letter, and he's just pouring out all this depth and intricacy and, and beautiful like uh, portrayals of the depth and the richness of the gospel of Jesus because he hasn't been able to do that in person. Y'all with me? So he's eager to get to Rome. He constantly says that, I'm so excited to come meet you, to be with you, to be able to speak face-to-face with you. And so I think that kind of eagerness shows itself throughout the first, especially the first 11 chapters of Rome, in what, or in, in Romans, in what Paul's writing. His eagerness is literally translating itself onto the page because He's like, I, I can't stop talking about how awesome Jesus is. I can't wait to be with you in person to show you the transformation that I've undergone in my life. Because he went under a huge, amazing, beautiful transformation. Right? I can't wait to be there with you. But then in chapter 12, with our passage specifically, there's a big shift. There's a huge shift in his writing style and the and, and, and the things that he's, not necessarily the things that he's bringing across, but he stops uh, specifically more so like writing in depth and detail of like theological truths and starts this, this section of exhortation. Does that make sense? Meaning, like we've gone into depth, we've got all this, like we're, we're understanding, we have the knowledge, and now it's time for me to urge you to put it into practice. Right? 
to put it into practice. So the exhortation is, literally means he's urging action from those that he's writing to. He says, present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Lay down your life, give it all, submit to God. Every moment, every day is his. Like Lay it down as living sacrifice. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. It all starts with this word um, that we can easily overlook, uh, therefore. Everybody know the, anybody know the rule of therefore in the Bible? When you see a therefore, you have to go back and see what, what it's there for. Write that down. That's a, good, that's a good note. You know, if you're like, okay, you just start off and you got a therefore. It's like, it, picked the wrong verse to read this morning. I've got to go back and study, right? That was sarcasm. Um, so... He starts it with this word, therefore. And so I think, like, it's the shortest segue from depth and knowledge and truth, um, not to non-truth, but, like, from the knowing, the, the, the intelligence, to the let's put it into action. Therefore, now that we understand this, now that I've gone into detail here, it's I need to urge you to not let this just sit in your mind, to not let this just be put up on a shelf somewhere and dusted off every Sunday morning, but you have to be transformed by this. This has to be put into practice. This has to literally turn your world upside down and ignite in you a fire for the world around you. In Romans 6, Paul shows us, um, talking about living sacrifice, he shows us that that we're no longer slaves to our sinful nature, and that we're to become slaves to righteousness, to obedience, which leads to sanctification. And it's really hard to obey God if we're just kind of reading books by ourselves in our house like all day, every day. Or if our faith is something that we put in our back pocket only to bring out when it's convenient for us. Like how are we going to be obedient to God if we haven't offered our bodies as living sacrifices. Not just because Paul's urging us to do that here, but because he has purchased for us newness of life, life abundant in Christ. So I think uh, we need to stop looking so much like the world and need to start looking a whole lot more like Jesus. Um, So Paul, like with this word, therefore, has the shortest segue Ever. And he's saying, in view of God's mercy, in view of God's righteousness, if I can sum up the first 11 chapters of Romans, it's this. God is righteous. You are unrighteous. So God sent Jesus, who is righteous, to die on a cross so that his righteousness could be given to you. So only by faith in Christ are we made righteous. Only by the work of, cro- of, of Jesus on the cross are we made righteous? So God's righteous, you're not, but Jesus makes you righteous. And it's a beautiful thing. It's a life-changing thing. But if we know the truth, right? if we know the gospel, if we understand everything in the Bible, but that truth doesn't change us, it could change even our mind, but it doesn't play itself in the way that we play itself out in the way that we live, 
I think we need to be worried about whether or not our faith truly is in Jesus. Our knowledge might be in Jesus. Our, our knowledge might be in God. But if our actions don't show it, are we really putting our faith in Jesus? Or are we putting our faith in what's normal, what's acceptable, what's, what's around us more so than what Jesus has called us to be? I think... Um, that this is the very core of Paul's message here. Paul's incredibly smart. That's an important thing to, to, to know. With the, the apostles and the disciples of Jesus in Acts, when they start going out and living it out, they start walking as witnesses, um, and they get constantly persecuted or brought into the, the, uh, the temple council room. And the, the, the council members, they look at them and they say, these guys are unlearned. Right? There, there's nothing really special about these guys. These, they're not that smart. They're just normal people, but they've been with Jesus. And they're set apart. And people are being healed, and, and their lives are being turned upside down and being completely wrecked in the best way possible by God. But they're just normal people. But with Paul, it's important for us to understand a little bit of his background that he is smart and he does have a brilliant mind. I mean, just look at his writings. They're beautiful. They're so deep. They're so just rich. There's, you can just tell he has such an understanding of the love of the Father, of his grace poured out on us. Like, he just has it. But his background is that he was a Pharisee. He was the one persecuting the apostles. He was the one trying to shut their mouths about Jesus. So when he talks about renewing the mind, he, he really knows what he's talking about. But even if we know everything that there is to know about God, that doesn't mean that we just instinctually love him. Y'all get that? That's an important point. Like, we could know literally every truth, every comma and period in the Bible that there is to know about God and not truly know God. It's like saying, okay, so you're married and, and here's your wife and you know every single thing about her. That doesn't just instinctually mean that you love her. It doesn't instinctually mean that you're going to put her before yourself. It's not just a natural, now that you know her, you love her. That might be the opposite. Now that you know her, you have trouble with that, right? Don't tell, my wife's not here, don't tell her I said that. So I think if we could sum up these two verses, knowing where Paul's coming from, I've written all of this to you so that you can understand the depth and, and everything about the gospel that I believe that you need to understand. Therefore, now that you've got that, here's what you need to know. And I think it comes down to this. The Christian life is about knowing and doing. It's about knowing and doing. We come to church on Sunday and we worship. We do. But we sing praises, truths about Jesus. We can, we can come to church on Sunday and sing because the words are on the screen and not really process what we're saying, right? And we could sit here and stare blank, like blank, blankly at the preacher as he preaches and it not really process in your head and you're not really gaining knowledge, you're not really coming to a better understanding of God and how he loves you. On the opposite end, you could come here and then all you're doing is you're not really doing, you're not really worshiping, all you're doing is soaking up knowledge. 
Okay, the Christian life is all about knowing and doing. I now have memorized that, and I've stored it away, and next week I will get another truth, you know, from Scripture. I love it. Um, Francis Chan, this has popped in my head. Francis Chan uh, is an awesome author and speaker, and he talked about um, how we view the Bible, right? And we can easily think of it in this way, that it's like uh, an instruction from your parent, like he said, imagine if I told my daughter to go uh, clean, go clean your room, right? Go clean your room. And then like 30 minutes later, you're just walking through the house doing your stuff. You see your daughter. And then she's like, I memorized what you said. I memorized what you said. You said, go clean your room. I memorized it in Greek. Because I'm like, yeah, I really got it. Me and my friends, we're going to get together later on this week. We're going to have a Bible study about what it would look like if we cleaned our room. Right? You get what I'm saying? Like, what would it look like for us to get together and clean our room? There's not action there. It's just knowledge. So I think that the Christian life is about knowing and doing. But if you do one without the other, things go haywire. Right? If all we do is study, then we're never going to fulfill the mission that God's given every believer. Every believer. Not just me as a pastor. Not just missionaries, but every believer. And if, all we, and, all, and if the only thing that we do is, is just do, just go, go, do more, do more, do more, we're going to get off the rails. If we don't return to Scripture and say, God, what is it that you've called us to do? How is it that you've called us to do it? Then we're going to go off the rails faster than a, I was about to say, faster than a crazy train. You know, just some Ozzy Osbourne lyrics for you this morning. <laughs> We can't, there's not one without the other. And it's not even 50-50. I think it's just, it's just they go hand in hand. If you've been transformed by the renewing of your mind, and you truly have laid your life down and like just laid it at the feet of Jesus, like you can't, when you learn more about your heavenly Father, it's going to spur you to action. I can't wait to, in, in, in no other way than, I can't wait to tell other people about more about my Father. I can't wait to tell people just how deep the love of Jesus is. I can't wait. I can't just bottle this up inside. That's the thing about Christianity. Um, I think that there's churchianity nowadays in America. Well, not in America, just in the world. There's churchianity, which is, you know, uh, we come in on Sunday, we sit, and then we go out, and we, we work our jobs and we do, you know, we do our things, and there's kind of a separation. Church is for Sunday, Jesus is for Sunday, and then we've got our check mark off our list, and there we go, we're good. But like Christianity, like following Christ, not just praying a prayer and getting your ticket to heaven instead of hell, but following Christ, being a disciple of Christ, does not come without complete and utter denial of self, abandonment of your own will of the things that you want and a complete transformation on a daily basis. Every time you open that word, I can't help but be completely renewed in my mind of how I should live. I can't help but be completely reminded and refreshed of how much God loves me, of how much of a loving Father He is. Of how, and like, I can't help but read this and think about how many people out there don't know this. How many people out there don't have a loving father like I do that need it? 
If all we do is study, then we're never going to fulfill the mission. If all we do is do, we never open our Bibles, we're going to get way off track. We're going to do more harm than we do good. Romans 2, or 10-2, I think in, in this letter itself, Paul kind of points to this. A couple of verses in Romans 10. Verse 2, it says, For I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. So that's, that's kind of encouraging. If you're like me and you struggle with knowing, anybody? Like, I struggle with reading a book, or, or I'll read five pages and be like, well, didn't get any of that, and just flip back. Anybody? I think that's just like dist- being distracted. But so I've, I bear them witness that they have zeal for God. They've got it. Like, they are zealous for God, but it's not according to knowledge. And then in verse 10 it says, For with the heart one believes and is justified. So with the heart and with the mind, because our heart doesn't actually think, right? It just kind of is the tie that we put in with emotions in our mind. So with the heart, with our knowing, with our emotion, with what we believe and see, we are, are, for with the heart one believes and is justified. We believe. And then with the mouth, one confesses and is saved. So in knowing, we believe. But with our mouth, we confess. We do. James tells us faith without works is dead. And so it's one thing to know about God. It's a whole other ballgame to know God. Like you can't have a deep, meaningful relationship with your creator and not like literally have that shake the foundations of your life. Jesus told us the two greatest commandments are, anybody? Love and then love, love God, love people. How many people like struggle with loving people sometimes? Yeah? How many people are lying right now? Right? I had Bear this weekend and he was he's getting to that terrible two stage and I had trouble like actively loving him sometimes. I was just like, oh my gosh. You know, ever have a kid and you're just like, just go run, do yeah, go do you boo boo and you know. The ambu- like the, 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 they'll call me and tell me what happened. You know, and I'm just kidding. That's horrible. But I, I think there's truth in that. I don't think you should necessarily feel bad just for the, the struggle that you have loving people. Because I believe that, I don't believe it. You can see it. We're broken people, right? We're broken people broken by sin. And the only way that we're going to be able to love each other is if we first and foremost... Love God. If we first and foremost lay ourselves, lay ourselves as living sacrifices at the feet of Jesus, and we're, our minds are renewed and transformed, we can't love people if we're not truly loving God. So Paul's urging the readers to see this truth, the fact that if you've got the knowledge, but we don't put it into practice, faith without works is dead. But we've got to understand that, that, that we aren't justified by our works, we're justified by our faith. But if we have true faith, it's going to show itself through works. Look at verse 1. Let's kind of break things down. Verse 1 says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present. Everybody say present. Everybody, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. So Paul uses the word present. I think it's awesome because he could have said, uh, and the Greek, by the way, it's present. 
Shocker, right? And so uh, he uses the word present. He could have said surrender, could have said offer, but he uses this word present, meaning that, that, uh, that, we, that by our own will, right? We, it's almost like we say, you know, I've been transformed, right? I have, I've received Christ. I understand the gospel, and I understand what you've done for me. And so my response to that is have it all. Have it all. Not begrudgingly saying, okay, fine, if you did that for me, then I would do this for you. But saying, you've done that for me, like, here. Have it all. In every aspect of your life, uh, we, you'll start looking like Jesus looked in the Garden of Gethsemane when he prayed, not my will, but your will be done. It's complete transformation. He he describes the living sacrifice as holy and acceptable, meaning that we are to pursue obedience and righteousness every day, every second, and every area and avenue of our life. And it says that this is our spiritual worship. Another way of saying that, another way of saying that is this is our spiritual service. This is our duty as believers, as followers of Christ. I've come to realize. Um, though, over the years, that, that God's desire for our obedience and His desire for us to be righteous and holy um, is much, much less about, I, think, I believe, much less about our ability or inability to do that. Does that make sense? Or even to be without sin. We would be holy like our God is holy. But like, I, and I think... I've always thought like that's because if we are not, we get punished. But it's not like our sin is paid for on the cross. It's completely, if we believe that, it's completely paid for on the cross. See, I believe that God's desire for our obedience and for our righteousness is not that it demeans the fact that he says, be holy as I am holy. I just think that his intention with that is instead of, instead of just obedience, instead of just looking at us and saying, you're holy, you're pure, you're clean, his desire is to say, listen, when you lay it all down, when you come to me and you present your bodies as, as a living sacrifice, and you're holy, and you're acceptable, and you can lay that down at my feet, like I'm going to give you life like you've never experienced. I'm going to give you peace knowing then I go with you everywhere you go. I go before you and plan out your steps that I have plans to prosper you. I want, your, your life's going to be full of joy that exceeds your situation. I'm not telling you your life's going to be perfect, but it is going to be joyful knowing that the most that anyone can do here is take my life, which is just going to give me an express, express way to be with my father in person. So I think his desire for our obedience is much more about the life that we find in him. So when he asks us to lay down our life, it's not about the price that we're paying that we're laying down. Because honestly, it's not that great. We don't have much to offer. Am I I right? We don't have much to offer in laying ourselves down at the feet of Jesus. Offering ourselves as living sacrifices. I think it's truly about what he can offer us when we are fully and completely in surrender to him. What he can do in us and through us. Hmm. 
I like it. Thank you. <laughs> so uh, we read this, though. Can you put verse 1 back up there, Bill? I think it's easy for us to read this. Present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Holy and acceptable. That's, that's a big order. That's a tall order. That kind of sounds extreme. Like, you can't just read that and go, okay, fine, I'll do that Monday. You know, this is a daily thing. This is an every single moment thing. I have to constantly think and remember that I'm not my own. I was purchased for a price on the cross so that God could use and move through me and do amazing things with my life. But I have to continuously and constantly submit myself to Him. So it sounds, it's, it's very extreme. But when I think about, again, the loving heart of our Father. Do y'all think about God as your Father? Like, let's be real. Like, that He is your, He's your heavenly Father. That He loves you like the perfect Father could love their children. Think about how, hopefully, that your Father loved you. Maybe not how they loved you, but how you wished that they loved you. And just know that He's so much better and so much the perfection of goodness. A good, good Father. Like, when I think about the, the, the heart of my Father in heaven, I can't think that if we were to say God is like, that seems really steep. You want everything, like, you want every part of me, every, like, I give you my Sundays, I, life group night, Wednesday, I get, like, uh, I, I volunteer, I tithe, I do all-star sports camp, you know, I'm, I'm, I do every, I'm, I, I'm in the church every time that the doors are open. Is that not enough? Can't I have the rest? I've given you all of this. I just wrote that big check, Right? I'm giving you all that. Is that not enough? And I can't help but think that God's response to that is absolutely not. As a loving father, absolutely not. I created you to have all of you. And I created you to have all of me. And I'm not going to settle for anything less than that. Think about like if, if Jesus had thought, Offering his body as a living sacrifice was a little too, too harsh, too steep, too hard. It's a scary thought. But we think that we have to give all, away all our sinful, selfish desires, all the guilty pleasures, all the things that we keep secret and hide that people don't know about. I've got to give that up. And we think, I don't like the sound of that. And here's the thing. If you just read verse 1, I think you've got a really, really good point. I think you've got a really, really good point. It does seem too steep, but look at verse 2. It says, Do not be conformed to the image of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So, I tell you, lay your life down. I just, I tell you to do it. I give you an instruction. And we don't have this happening afterwards. The renewal of your mind. So if I just tell you to do it, even if you do it, you're not going to understand why you're doing it. So be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Therefore, it makes it easier. It helps us to understand. As we grow in our knowledge, it helps us to 
put that into practice. If you remember what Jesus preached was the requirement was for salvation was that we repent and and believe. And the Greek word that's used in the New Testament for, the, for repentance is called it's metanoia. It literally means a change of mind. Isn't that cool? A change of mind. It's not just a word, God, I repent until next week. Right? It's a change of mind. This, is a, this repentance is, is not about regret or guilt or shame. It implies like a new beginning. Like the decision to turn around to face a new direction and follow a new way of living, a new path. So when Paul tells us to not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of our minds, it sounds a lot like repentance, doesn't it? Not just the repentance that, that we underwent at our salvation point, but the repentance that we should literally daily live in and walk in. So I'm walking. And all of a sudden I slip up and I fall or I'm, I struggle with this. And, and God says, Pick, get back up, turn, you know, refocus, refocus on me and keep moving. Change your mind, be renewed, renew your mind. Keep living as a living sacrifice to me. Keep following me with everything that you have. For us, having our minds renewed helps us to discern the perfect and acceptable will of God for our lives. Jesus said in Luke 9, verse 23 and 24, he says, He said to all, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For, would, who would ever, or for whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. And Jesus understood and he warned his disciples, listen, following me comes with a price. You're going to experience persecution. You're going to literally give your life for your faith. The disciples that we read about in the Gospels go on to live hard lives being very effective in God's kingdom. Most of them give their lives for their faith. Paul, who wrote Romans, ended up being beheaded, is what it's believed, is that he ended, that his life on this earth ended with him being beheaded in Rome, the place he couldn't wait to get to. Because see, the message that we have, the gospel, the relationship that we have with Christ, the relationship we have with God, that leads and guides our every single life as living sacrifices is so much more than even our life. It's more important than our life. Scripture talks about um, count it as you should, we rejoice in our persecution. The, the, the apostles literally went out of the temple after they, they had been beaten, rejoicing that they would be counted, they would be found worthy of experiencing pain and suffering for the sake of the gospel, which makes no sense unless you realize that, that you, the persecution, the hard times, the storms in your life uh, give you opportunities to show you just how important your faith is to you. Come on, br bring it on, bro. If you come and at me and whip me to the point of death for my faith, all that does is show you how important my faith is to me. All it does is further the gospel. 
for me to be able to say, come on, because I'm ready to lay my life down for this. I've already offered my body as a living sacrifice to God. I've given it up. I'm following Him. And He told me to come. He told me to preach. He told me to share. He sent His Spirit to live in me, to empower me, and to enlighten me that I would know and do. It's easy to be a Christian nowadays in America, especially in the South. You go to church on Sundays, you tithe, chances are you're not going to be really, people aren't going to be breathing down your neck. Are you really doing this? Are you really doing that? I saw you on Tuesday morning at 5 a.m. when you got up to brush your teeth and you hadn't even prayed yet. I can't believe it. Right? But I think Paul's holding us to a higher standard. He's not even holding us to a higher standard that he's creating. He's just showing us that, that faith is not about what you believe and you put that over here and you let that affect your life when you want to. That faith is everything in your life. Everything. I think we miss the big picture, which is this, that God created us to have a relationship with him. Sin broke the bond that allowed us to have a relationship with Him because He's holy, He's righteous, and now we're not. And immediately from that point, God set into motion that one day Christ would come and pay the ultimate price for us to rebuild and reestablish that relationship. The relationship that we have with God, of God saying, these are my children, I love them, I am with them, I walk before them, I am for them. I'm guiding them. We resist that if we haven't laid it all at His feet. So I think wrapping up, there's just a question that I think we should always ask ourselves. It's like a daily, daily renewal of our mind. Today. Is today about me or is today about God? Is today a day where I'm going to live for my own intentions and my own desires? Or is, the, is today a day that I'm going to say, you know what, I've off, like, my life is yours. You instructed me to present my body as a living sacrifice and that's what I'm doing. We have to be active in our thinking. If, we just do it, if it's a one-time thing like we do it this morning and then we're good. Like, no, we're we literally have to war against our flesh and say literally on a daily basis, today is yours, God. Renew my mind. Help me to see the opportunities that you've given me every day to put my faith into action, to share the love of Jesus with the world around me. Not just know, but to do. And So the question, I think, and we're the only ones that can answer it, is have we truly presented our bodies to Him as a living sacrifice. Have we done that? Have we done it once? Are we doing it on a daily basis? And I'm, pre- I'm talking to myself here. Is this something that we think about on a daily basis? You can think like you, pre- you hear the gospel and then you get saved and then you don't need to hear the gospel again. No, you, we need the gospel on a daily basis to be reminded of where we were without Christ and now where we stand with Him. So um, 
the band's going to come up. I know I went long. Get mad at me, not them. Um, but I just want to pray for us, and I want to offer you a, an opportunity here during this song to use this as, a, as, as just a space to pray, to pray in your seat, and just ask God. Or maybe you don't need to ask. Maybe you know the answer. No, I'm not living my life like a living sacrifice for you. I'm not living my life in complete surrender and complete submission. I'm not seeking that on a daily basis, God, that you would renew my mind through the Holy Spirit in my life. I barely crack open the Bible. Maybe you just need to lay it down. To pick up your cross. Deny yourself. That you lose your life for the sake of Jesus. I love that Paul's end all be all here. In doing this, we'll know, how, we'll know how to discern what the will of God is for our life. And we struggle with that a lot, don't we? We, we struggle with, what is God calling me to do? What is God calling me to do? Laying your life down for Him, I can guarantee you He's going to show you exactly, on a, not just on a grand scale, but on a day-to-day basis, this is what I'm calling you to do. You see, you see that person? Like, I'm calling you to go talk to them. Because they've had a horrible day, and they don't know me. You carry like oh. Jesus said that we're the light of the world. Well, if we put buckets on our heads, we're not going to benefit anyone around us. We aren't. He hasn't the light that He's given us, the salvation, the grace He's poured out on us, the knowledge of the gospel that He pours out on anyone that believes and repents. Like, that's, that is our light that we carry with us. We are the light of the world, and the light casts out the darkness. But if we aren't shining brightly, how can we be surprised when the world gets darker? How can we be surprised when we, when we turn on the news and just weep because of what's going on in our country or in the world? we know and we don't do what's the point of knowing if we do but we don't know what's the point of doing we got to be transformed so if that's you today i'm not gonna make you come stand up right now and come down forward but during this last song if that's you if you want to come just spend some time in prayer i'm gonna be down here if you want to i'd love to pray with you for you whatever but uh, let me pray for us and then um we're gonna wrap things up so Before I forget to mention it, we're also going to take up our offering during this time. So I'm going to pray for that as well. Father, uh, I pray right now that you would just meet us in this place, that you would speak directly to each and every heart in this room, that you would just love your children in this room, that you would just give them a hug, that you would whisper in their ear, that you would speak to them. And in the most loving way, say, listen, you're not following me. I'm chasing you, but you're not following me. And I pray that there would be renewal in this place this morning, that there would be 
life change that occurs and that we would willingly and excitingly lay down our lives at your feet. That you would help us to understand that where our individual stories may take us wide places in the name of the gospel, that the, that the will that you have given, the mission and the purpose that you have given every single one of us in this room is that we would go and make disciples of all nations. Jesus told us that, the, that my followers, you said that, that if we follow you, God, we would do the things that Jesus did and even greater things than those. And so, Father, I just ask that you do what needs to be done because you know. And it's in your son's name that we pray. Amen.